Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the La Rouge Rugby Podcast. I'm Shu Hardy, joined as always by Derek Brissett. Derek, we have just had our first round of eliminators. And, you know, there's been other rugby going on. There's, uh, you know, these small competitions in England and uh, South Africa and <laughs> so on and so forth that have their semifinals. You know, yeah, completely that, that, unimportant. Things. I was going to say, yeah, definitely no uh, rugby being played in uh, Wales, Scotland and Ireland right now. Eh? Well, um, <laughs> hang, on, what, hang on, wasn't one of the games. And anyway. Oh, uh, were they there? No, I don't know. Well, so definitely, I, not all this, I know is- definitely not this weekend. <laughs> I was just saying, all um, I know is apparently South Africa is the best team in Europe right now. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's South, South African Africans. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, bit of a crazy weekend uh, for rugby and stuff. It's, uh, you know, kind of fascinating to see the uh, the Saracens return to the uh, the final in their first year back in the, uh, the premiership so quickly mm-hmm. after... Uh, you know, they, they, you know, it's crazy. You never see a team gain promotion from, uh, you know, the lower divisions and then just go straight to the Premiership final as quickly and, as they did. I know, right? it's a fairy tale dream, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, exactly. What a Cinderella story the uh, the Saracens have turned out to be this year. And yeah, speaking of salary uh, violations, <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, exactly. Speaking of salary, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, yeah, that'll be wild. Yeah, we guess we got to get to that. Eh? The joys of recording a podcast and then taking a day to actually release it after it. Eh? Um, right. also, uh, so saw, so, you got watched some rugby, got around to seeing Top Gun Maverick finally. Ooh. Ooh. Have you seen that yet, Stu? Of course I've seen it. That was... You've seen it? Oh man. Yeah. It's, it's like one of the best movies ever. Yeah. Uh... That, that was the vibe I got from it. How, how did you... Well, yeah, well, this, this is, is now thing. this is now La Rouge Maverick for this is going to be <laughs> Top Gun rugby for a minute. So, uh, uh well, they were. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's kind of. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, I guess we can't we can't probably probably avoid the spoilers for the movie, though, on the um, rugby podcast. But so, yeah, so this is the thing. Um, my best mate from the UK, John, um, he loves uh, Tom Cruise and Top Gun. The original Top Gun is his favorite film of all time. So he was begging me to watch it because i'm not sure if that makes me think that this friend of yours is the greatest person in the world or if i would hate him i'm not well uh (laughs) anyway this is um how it went down so i do love top gun so obviously the idea was when this was um originally supposed to be released it would have been at a time when both of us would have been in the uk so we could have seen it together um of course covid like many other people's plans prevented that from happening um, so he saw it and then I saw it um, in the cinema and I said it is, you know, a clear um, ad for the U.S. Navy. It is a <laughs> vanity project for Mr. Cruz. It shows the limits that actors have to go to put themselves through physical exhaustion to like do their craft to a level that is dangerous. And it is probably one of the best films I've ever seen. Yeah, it is. It's yeah, amazing. Uh, yeah, just like every every scene that had a plane in the air, I was like, this is the coolest thing I've ever seen on a screen in my life. Um, there was, yeah, someone like just the cinematography of it, I thought was amazing. Um, yeah. man, Because the yeah. director behind it, he, he's worked with Tom Cruise before. He's done Oblivion. Yeah. And, that, that, and he, amazing. Yeah, and I've seen the like a behind the scenes video of how they had to do all the like cockpit um, shots. And they said it took them like 16 months just to get the camera rigs designed. Yeah, it's, it's wild. Because yeah. you can't just put like a standard film camera in a, yeah. you know, an F-15 and just be like, yeah, good luck. Yeah. Cameras no, don't yeah. hold up to Mach 5 very well. Yeah, but when you when you go through and you see this video of like the training plan, which was designed by Tom Cruise because he's a registered pilot, not a F fifteen <laughs> pilot, but a well, I guess he is know, now. Sen- sensor he, aircraft pilot. He did the flying in the movie. That's he definitely did not because can you imagine the Google insurance it. behind that if he no, Google it crashed the plane? No, he he flew the he flew the sensor plane. He didn't fly oh. the. You know the plane in the opening, or the planes throughout the film. It's only the one in which you know the average Joe can get a commercial license from, not an uh, actual. All right, all right. So you know, right, so so I'll suspend my belief correct. for movies, movie movie yeah. enjoyment, though. But yeah, if uh, you know, also, whilst any of our listeners or watchers are 
thinking of like, oh, what can I do between uh, now and the uh, MLR uh, grand final? <laughs> then, we'll you know, go watch we'll uh, Top Gun Maverick. So to turn this back to rugby, do we need to start? Because basically the movie of Top Gun, again, I'm not going to spoil the movie. It's the premise of both movies. Yeah. So it's basically a pilot school. Yes. Right. Where you have a group of people training to become like the best pilots. So is there a missed opportunity that the Arrows Academy isn't called Top Gun? Well, (laughs) I'm going to say probably not because Top Gun is for the U.S. Navy, not the U.S. Air Force, and also not Canadian. But they're they're flying. It's I don't. I know it's the Navy. Like I, they're flying planes. It's the all right, all right. You know what though? I, um, it may be though because it's like we've all been all year. We should have last names on the backs of the jerseys. Maybe we have to have more fun. Maybe that maybe we should do call signs instead of let everybody throw nicknames on the back instead of. Yeah, you can have uh, Sammy the Boot, uh, <laughs> the Boot on the back. There yeah. we go. Notorious yeah. DRB. That'd be a yeah, that is good. on the back of a jersey. Another uh, Ross's nickname apparently from uh, the Arrows is Ross the Boss. So Ross, yeah, just uh, giant Q. Yeah. Just a cue on it. That'd be cool. We can do a... Uh, what else do we got? Yeah. I don't know. We have to go through a more Arrows nicknames to figure out more of these guys. But okay, We'll figure that out in the offseason. Yeah. Right. Let's uh, move back into the real world and uh, rugby. And before we get into the Eastern and Western Eliminators, it's time for a bit of an update regarding the disqualifications. So... Um, First of all, there's been another disqualification since we last recorded, which was for the LA Giltinis. And similarly to the disqualification of Austin, there wasn't really a big statement or explanation why at the time when that happened. However, earlier uh, or late last week, just before the Eliminators, MLR gave an official statement regarding the disqualification of Austin LA, and it is as follows. MLR previously announced the disqualification of the Austin Gilgronis and Los Angeles Giltinis from the 2022 MLR Championship Series. Austin's disqualification is due to the team management's failure to cooperate with an investigation conducted by the MLR League office concerning potential violations pertaining to player compensation. Los Angeles' disqualification is due to conduct deemed detrimental to the league, which warranted an immediate disqualification from the 2022 MLR Championship Series. And it's then followed up by a statement from the commissioner, George Killebrew, stating, MLR is dedicated to protecting the integrity of rugby competition in North America and continuing a league-wide model that will grow for decades. While these penalties are disappointing to the fan bases, MLR ownership remains committed to maintaining the success of this league. Round one of MLR Championship Series begins this weekend, and we look forward to a hard-fought and entertaining postseason so uh, you know not uh, full details on what mm-hmm. exactly happened but you know the general ballpark regarding it Austin's was due to um, lack of cooperation with a investigation pertaining to player compensation and LA's was due to conduct deemed detrimental to the league which whilst being incredibly vague is what they are. You know, it seems to be like the appropriate legal language to use. Yeah. Um, like this. Yeah. I think, uh, you know, kind of, I mean, I think last week, us on our podcast, and as well as you can tell, like a ton of people, like across, you know, social media and the internet, um, our big point that we were trying to get across last week was that the, like, just the disappointment that there was no explanation. And yeah. stuff seemed to kind of be the um, um, like the point that everybody that we were hitting and that it seemed like a lot of people were also kind of resonating with um, across like, you know, MLR fan bases um, throughout this week. I have, I guess, come to realize that, yeah, basically like, you know, the announcements being worded like this is 100 uh, percent being done based on legal advice being given to MLR right now. Um, which, you know, as they kind of, as George Killebrew's own quote kind of points out, like obviously the fan base, um, when he says, uh, disappointing the fan bases, I kind of take that to mean not only just Austin and LA, but like people that are just fans of the league as a whole. Cause it's, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. obviously a very, 
you know, very unfortunate and um, kind of kind of wild and crazy, uh, crazy set of circumstances that are leading to this. And yeah, like it's just um, like so obviously people are going to be disappointed and stuff. And I, like it's uh, it's obviously a, a tough situation. And it seems to me like this is a young league right now that is trying to for the first time in league history, they have like an actual like, I guess, a should we call it a crisis, a PR situation? I wouldn't like, call it a yeah. crisis. I, I say PR issue. Yeah, like it's like the first like really big. Yeah, I guess I don't know PR issue. I'm not even really sure. What the, I'm not sure what to call this. I don't know what word I'm looking. I'm searching for here. Um, but it's like it's the kind of like that that first like real like the like the most like negative press thing that the league has ever had to deal with. Um, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, like a team folding, like the Colorado Raptors, whatever, it's going to happen. Right. Yeah. In a, in a, in a young league, you look through the history of every major professional sports league on the planet. And there's teams that folded in the first couple of years. Um, so this might just be uh, one of those. It's reminders that it's, that it is a little bit of a new league and that um, they may very well still be trying to figure out how they're going to appropriately handle this. And because of that, it seems like the legal advice that their lawyers are giving them is to, you know, put out statements that are just kind of vaguely being like, yeah, you rule violations. And then this statement, the competition update that was released later this week after um, both Austin and LA were announced as being disqualified is, um, you know, it's also, you know, kind of vague, but also offering more information, right? So now yeah. you kind of have a more narrow scope of what the leak happened. And I mean, obviously the very clear thing from the post too, is it's like, it's obviously, you know, the two teams are owned by the same guy, right? Adam yeah. Gilchrist owns both of them. So there's an obvious connection between the two teams, um, that, you know, may, uh, possibly has led to the fact that they're being lumped together in this disqualification. Um, yeah, like it's, it's really unfortunate for the leagues and stuff. And obviously, I mean, the other, the other side of the argument too, is it's like Austin and LA themselves are doing the exact same thing, right? Like they're not saying anything. Um, you don't hear, I haven't, you don't see any posts on social media and stuff. I think Austin had like one video about them, the players explaining some dog tag th mantra thing that they made. Um, but like both teams haven't really done much social media wise in the past couple of weeks. And if they have done any social media, it certainly hasn't been addressing this issue either. Um, so it's, it's kind of become clear over the past week that both sides are getting legal advice to not say too much. Um, mm. So I don't know. I guess it's a, it is obviously a very unfortunate situation. Um, I think hopefully, hopefully we we can trust that hopefully the league's making the, uh, making the right call and the right move here. And um, yeah, I mean, it sucks. And uh, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure we'll find out the proper and full details at some point. Cause you know, somebody always talks at some point. So yeah, it's uh, just kind of the, the way this works, but um, so hopefully we'll get some more, but, yeah, I understand. I understand everybody's frustration with the vagueness of it, but um, I think it's. Uh, and I was certainly frustrated last week with the vagueness of it, but I've now that I've had a week to kind of think about it and cool off. I'm kind of like, you know, I don't know anything about being a lawyer, so I'm going to let the lawyers do the lawyer thing, and uh, I'm sure yeah. we'll find out. I'm sure we'll find out the full extent soon. Yeah, knowing our luck, the day after we record. Mm will be like full tomorrow statements tomorrow yeah every every party yeah. yeah exactly tomorrow uh yeah you know yeah. so so by the time you're listening to this you'll already know everything well, george, that's been going on just to let you know george we uh we record generally on mondays around eight o'clock at night so um like yeah. drop in eight, drop the news on monday yeah. 8, 8 p.m eastern time so yeah eastern and, uh, yeah awesome uh, that's you know, that's like when midday gotta... uh mountain time that would be Fantastic. Yeah, any other big news, even if it's not related to this, let's go Monday. It's not Tuesday. Tuesday's the worst day. At least if it's Wednesday, the podcast is out and we can be like, ah, we got it out before the news. That's our excuse. Tuesday's the awkward day. 
All right, so now let's talk about the Eliminators. And first up, we had the Eastern Eliminator. This was Rugby ATL versus Rugby New York at Silverbacks Park. And, you know, this seemed to be a game that was decided by penalty count more than anything. It's, you know, it was what New York got. um, I think they led 6-0 before ATL got a penalty and then, um, finished halftime, ATL 6, New York 9, and then immediately in the second half, um, New York then got that a penalty. 9-0 nothing, nothing before ATL. I was 9-0. I, oh, I, I, I was being ATL. generous, but uh, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, 9-0. And then um, ATL called back 6-9, then it was New York getting that penalty try. And then I believe it was two penalties for Atlanta. So, you know, closing the gap, getting Mm. in, getting close. And then uh, who else for New York but uh, Dylan Fawcett crossing over Mm. in the 73rd minute. Um, You know, Emery convert. Emery was on kicking duty as well. That was something that uh, was like interesting to me yeah i didn't really uh, expect that eh? has he has he been the main i know he's like i mean obviously he has the kicking ability but it was like i've i feel like most of the new york games i've watched this year have all been heightened doing it's uh, it's either been heightened or windsor doing the kicking and then yeah well like they're those two guys are usually never on the pitch at the same time exactly so it's normally one the other but heightened started emery uh not emery so uh, windsor came on for the last uh 20 minutes or so uh, but yeah, it's Emery all game, and it I mean, good, yeah. you know, excellent accuracy because he uh, scored um, from every kick he had. Uh, yeah, it was five plus, for five. Yeah, four penalties, one conversion. Uh, the last penalty in the 79th minute was, you know, the final nail, so to speak. But Atlanta were of the mindset of may have lost the game, but it's not over yet, and mm-hmm. so uh, Coleman was able to get over in the red like on the 82nd minute and then converted his own uh try uh and he scored all the points for atlanta in that game so all 19 from uh coleman so mm-hmm. you know if he'd been on the winning side maybe man of the match but definitely man of the match for <laughs> atl fans um, I was gonna say he's arguably man of the match even though they lost <laughs> yeah well this oh. uh uh, makes up for New York's loss to Rugby ATL last year in the Eastern Conference Final. So, and uh, New York will be heading back to Veterans Memorial Stadium to see if they can do the double over New England. Uh, one, of course, the first team to beat New England at home, and uh, we'll be trying again. But obviously, New England without bye week, it'll be interesting to see what happens from here. So. And watching this game, what were your thoughts on the penalty try? And then, you know, however many minutes later it was, Atlanta finding themselves in a similar situation and Savetta just picking up a yellow card. And then Atlanta not being able to score after that either. Yeah, okay. Because that's the thing, is that when a penalty try comes about, it's It's also also usually a yellow yellow card. but. Atlanta didn't get a yellow card. Didn't get a yellow card. Also, yeah. if you look at the replay, it's clearly a try because the ball's being grounded on the line. So I'm yeah. not, not entirely sure what Mike Lash was uh, going with, but, you know, results probably the that, you know, we can argue about what, did the conversion would have hit it, but I mean, even if there hadn't been conversion, it would be 19-24 and it's yeah. winner stays on at this point, so it doesn't matter. Um yeah, I thought that was uh, I guess, confusing. It's not say. so much the penalty try, but it was like when Atlanta kind of went back up the field because there was yeah. there's that stretch around like Savetta gets the yellow card, but there's that stretch where Atlanta goes back up, like up the field yeah. from like the 47th minute to probably like, I don't know, the 53rd, 54th or something, right? Yeah. Um, Where like... Atlanta has New York pinned deep and New York is just taking penalty after penalty after penalty. Yeah. Right. They get into a similar line out situation. New York takes two penalties. Savetta just gets sent off with a yellow though. Yeah. Right. And, and you know, where it seems like, you know, previous situation on the other end of the field, they gave New York the penalty try, um, which is also kind of interesting, but I think like ultimately like 
that moment in the game too like that was a lot of time mm-hmm. and effort on rugby ATL's part to come away with zero points. Yeah. Which I mean, also shout out to the New York defense um, because they kept them off the board for that, even though they were taking a lot of penalties, but I mean, I think any team in the world would trade some penalties for uh, keeping a team off the board in that situation. Um, Yeah. Not very. uh, Well, I'm sure. Uh, New York fans will say that it was actually the correct decision. Atlanta fans will say it's the worst Atlanta decision they've made. Um, um, but yeah. yeah. Not exactly the most dynamic offensive game, though. Eh? Not really, no. There was, but like, no it, hollow. Yeah. It seemed as though both teams were trying to avoid making errors. And yeah. so were being, like... So instead of being... A mistake on their half, it would be like a force error. So it'd be a ball carrier not releasing, and then that's a penalty. Or then it'd be, you know, getting into the opposition 22, and then suddenly um, the ball gets um, knocked on in the uh, ruck. So yeah, it seemed as though that neither one wanted to make a mistake. And in the end, they made uh, too many mistakes. And uh, yeah. Yeah, like it was kind of like because I know when we were talking last week um, about this game, we were kind of like, I mean, you, you we were like, New York loves playing wide, right? And then yeah. you look at the lineup that they put out, and you got Nahalo, Milner, Scudder, and Fido in your back three, right? And it's like, oh, of course, right? And then you obviously have Heighton, um, you have Heighton and um, Emery in like as your ten to twelve combo, and it's like those are the exact type of guys that want to, you know, you know, play the ball wide and run it. But, you know, it, uh, it didn't, it seemed like Atlanta did a pretty decent job of like, kind of, I guess, containing um, any New York attack that they wanted to run. Like only really like Nahalo had one really awesome run super early in the game, but then didn't really have much of anything. Uh, Milner Scudder had some good moments from um, from fullback and stuff. Some nice kicks, uh, you know, did well, like, you know, under the high ball and stuff, fielding some of that pressure. Um, same with Fiddle. I thought Fiddle, like, I'm not saying like these guys, the, those guys didn't like play well or anything, but it was just like they didn't really get the opportunities that I was, I guess, expecting them to get in this game, which I think is probably a credit to the Atlanta defense as well. Yeah. Um, like a lot of those guys were, were shut, were shut down and, this ended up being, um, you know, just a kind of a battle um, in the in the packs a lot of the times, right? Obviously, you know, both of New York's tries they had to they came from the mall, um, and as you kind of said, Stu, a little bit of a, you know, seemed like the, the team that took more penalties ended up losing this one, right? And as yeah. you know, those malls were kind of set up by, you know, by rugby ATL penalties. Um, so, I guess yeah, I guess that's kind of like this, like a little bit of the story of the game. So obviously. You know, a handful of Canadians um, in this matchup as well. With uh, yeah, so you had Matt Heaton, obviously captaining Atlanta. Um, George Barton went unused. Unfortunately, Keys didn't play at all. And um, on the other side, Andrew Cole came in for the last twelve minutes. He replaced Nahalo. Um, Heaton, I thought Heaton played really well. Um, Barton obviously didn't uh, didn't play. And um, you know, Cole Cole I, I, Cole's I think has been great all year, but you know, 12 minutes. So it didn't really leave a super identifiable mark on the game, but you know, solid for his 12 minutes and uh, get a, get a little Boston, New York rivalry for the, uh, the East final, which uh, I'm sure will be a blast. Absolutely. Well, we go from uh, one side of the United States to the other, as we move now to the Western Eliminator, and this was a bit more boisterous, a bit more uh, argy bargy, a, a little bit more action going on instead of the methodical game of mm-hmm. Atlanta, New York. This was um, score fest here, there, and everywhere. And started off with uh, uh, Nate Osberger um, getting a try within the second minute to get San Diego on the board, but uh, seems to be that the uh, man of the weekend, uh, Adrian Alatimu. Just phenomenal all game, you know, mm-hmm. gets a penalty in, in seventh minute, um, 
Matenga gets the first try for Seattle in the 11th, and Alatimu gets a conversion. He gets a conversion for you know three of the tries because uh, one the one scored by uh, Canadian Travis Larson was done under posts, and as we all know in MLR, if you score under the posts, it's automatic seven. And yeah, a total of five, so five penalties and three conversions for Alatimu. So that is you know really fantastic for them. Um, yeah, it, it seemed to be like after that try from Matenga, it was all Seattle and like to San Diego just weren't able to get back into the game at all. I mean, right until like the 77th minute, San Diego didn't score at all in the second half. And uh, yeah, and obviously that try in the 77th minute was uh, scored by another Canadian, uh, Jason Higgins. Able to get across and add to his impressive tally from the 22 season for San Diego as well. Um, and, you know, I, you know, when we were obviously doing our predictions last week, we we're like, oh, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Houston or is it going to be uh, Seattle? Only to find that they were not playing Houston and were <laughs> playing the game in Seattle. Yeah. I, th- I think San Diego has just been like messed around with all these say- eliminations. So it starts off with, uh, oh, Os- um, yeah, Austin have been eliminated. Obviously, you may be able to get into the playoffs depending on how Seattle goes. So don't pack your bags just there. And then it's like, okay, Seattle got what they need to do. So, yeah, you know, continue packing your bags, booking those flights. And then on the Tuesday, it's like, actually, guys, turns out another team has been disqualified. Well, yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, I do, I genuinely. Like I wonder how much that that did kind of mess with San Diego a little bit, like being like, oh, we're we're out of the playoffs, we're back in the playoffs, we're out of the playoffs, we're back in the playoffs. Um kind of over the course of the week. Like I think I believe I'm assuming the players on the other teams all found out before media releases and stuff, yeah. anyways. But like um, so I mean, but like I mean, we don't know, so I guess we can use the media releases, the timeline, but like yeah, I, I do wonder how much that I would love to talk to a Legion player just to be like what the past week was like for them going into this game. Cause it's not only that, like, you know, when they see like the Austin's disqualified, right? And there's still like a week left, but it's like the way the schedule worked is Austin ha- or San Diego had the bye week in the last week of the season, right? Yeah. So it's like you're going into, you're finishing round 17 looking at the schedule being like oh like we're eliminated so it's like do you kind of like oh you can maybe like hang out with the boys do some like end of the year party stuff right and it's like how much how much do you check out then realize oh we have a chance see that seattle beat la kind of do check back out again then a couple days later you find out that you're still in anyways and have to fly like i wonder i wonder how much that flip-flopping um how much of a mental toll that might have taken on like the players. Cause it's like, I mean, everybody's human, right. And it's almost yeah. feels like a, it almost feels like if you found out that like you just finished your last exam at school and then you went out, you probably like go out and party. And then like three days later, a professor's like, Oh, Hey, you guys got one more exam actually. Yeah. Right. And you'd all be like, Oh, well this, this, this is probably not going to go too well. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, Canadians though, in this game, huge impact. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Or should we talk about AJ Alatimu first? I mean, you already kind of touched on him. Well, yeah, as in he was the Phenomenal. player of the round. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, but it's like, obviously, for Alatimu, it's like, it's not just like the obvious, the accuracy. Dude, that 50-22, or the 50, yeah, that 50-22 that set up Matenga's try, the opening yeah. try for Seattle, was nasty. Yeah, that like, was amazing to watch. Yeah, like, I'm as like... As a neutral. Not as a neutral fan, I was like, that kick... That is the exact play that I'm like, dude, the 50-22 rule, like how have we gone 150 years of playing rugby without using this rule? Yeah, exactly. Like it's it's crazy. It's such a good rule. Um, opens up so much like attacking options and stuff. And then when you have guys that are like as skilled as Alatimu, like that was beautiful. Um, and then obviously like the pass to Duncan Matthews for that try too, like just across the pitch completely cut like you know, cut a, I think he cut across three different Seawolves to get it to Matthews. I think Matthews was the fourth guy or something. Yeah. Um, so that, like, that try was unreal, too. So, yeah, Alatimu, um, player of the week in all reality from um, from this game. 
um, from the uh, the eliminator round. Uh, Canadians, though, in this game, big impact, yeah. big yeah. impact across the board. Um, you mentioned that Larson and Higgins both had tries. Yeah. Um, but also too, like Mike Smith was amazing. Oh well, I mean, are we surprised? I really? no, no, we're not surprised. Yeah. We're not surprised. I mean, he, he, and that's the, if it hadn't been for Tamilo, it would have been a try for uh, Mike Smith. Yeah, yeah, Mike Smith. Because like, yeah, Smith had so the close run the run that set up that try. Yeah, um, th- he had the run that set up Tamilo's try. He had another run later in the game that got San Diego down to like within five meters too. Um, it seemed like every time he touched the ball, he was like behind Seattle's defense somehow. But he was like he hit every ruck. Um, he was doing he was doing well to win the rucks. He was making his tackles where he needed to. Um, I thought he just he just had a phenomenal game. Um, yeah. He's been so good this year. Like I, Kingsley Jones, buddy, you have fun picking the back row when you guys play uh, the test yeah. this year. Um, but. Uh, yeah, so he was insane. Larson on the other side, fun, always fun seeing Canadian guys go head to head at the same position, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, maybe, you know, maybe Smith probably played a little bit better, like during, uh, you know, as far as his overall game, but Larson got the, uh, you know, gets his name up in the lights, the big impact scoring a what is ultimately probably the try that buries San Diego in this game before. Yeah. Um, before Jason Higgins too had a yeah. you know that was a sweet try yeah as well yeah, talking about uh, offloads leading up to oh my gosh uh, yeah, yeah. Trump, but prior that, prior to Higgins was just it's beautiful and then filthy. Higgins going over I mean yeah no oh yeah. my gosh yeah that that was an unreal offload um, yeah what a what a fun game for the uh, the Western the Western Eliminator was a fun game at the very least and. Yeah. Uh, Seattle, uh, one, one win away from uh, a third MLR final, yeah, it's kind of very impressive to say, yeah. I was gonna say, does yeah, like it, it, it is, it's weird being like, should they be in the they probably wouldn't be in the playoffs, but now that they are, it's like, could Seattle win, win a third one? All you got to do is beat Houston, and then it's one game, right? Like. Yeah, well, that's the thing about Seattle is like, don't if they ever make the playoffs, don't yeah. count them out because Seattle, like the two years that Seattle won, like they were never the best team in the league. They just they won when it mattered to win. Yeah, like, exactly. and that's not. I'm not saying that to like disparage Seattle and being like, it's just yeah, like you. They were like, oh, uh, like in, in both years, it was they they got to they did what they had to do at the business end of the season and got it done. Right. Like that's why you play playoffs. Um, but yeah, I wonder like, if that's going to be a super fun hypothetical conversation that we'll have to have on the podcast is how do you look at a, like if Seattle does end up winning the shield and they'll have three out of the four shields, but you're also going to like, so you'd be like, Oh, like how great is this little, like, I think dynasty needs to be reserved for teams that have won three in a row, but like yeah. what a run Seattle's had, but then you could be like, they wouldn't have even made the playoffs if Austin and LA didn't uh, break some rules here. So it's, yeah, I know it's like, uh, it's all, it's all wild. Right. So it's, yeah, uh, it's that'll be an interesting. interesting conversation that we might have to have in a couple of weeks, how this affects yeah. the Seawolves legacy if they end up winning, but one yeah. game at a time, I guess. But. Yeah. One, one game at a time. And I think that's how Seattle have always played it when it comes to, uh, playoff games has always been yeah. focus on the uh, opponent in front of you and then you can focus on the other guys next week but as it currently stands because again we're recording this on monday the 13th of june so nope. no i think we're safe and nobody's i hope nobody's getting, nobody else is getting dq'd i okay. think we're safe okay i think we're safe yeah, at this that's point you think we don't know <laughs> and either way um Toronto Nola East final next week. Okay. So the current um, setup will be the Western Conference final will be held on Saturday, and that will be Houston versus Seattle. And on Sunday, it will be the Eastern Conference final, which is New England versus New York. And now we move away from American rugby to uh, New Zealand, where we have the second round of the Pacific Four series. And if you stayed up to watch the game between Canada and New Zealand, 
Uh, we were hoping this could be like a close battle and, you know, maybe even be like the game of the tournament. And if you're a Blackferns fan, maybe it was. Uh, if you're a Canadian fan, not so much. There's, no, there's no real way to sugarcoat it. It was a shutout win for the Blackferns in Auckland. I mean, um, the halftime score was only 6-0. So, you know, mm-hmm. a little bit of hope. And there had been some indiscipline within the New Zealand squad with uh, a yellow card at the 30th minute. So the final 10 minutes, maybe there could have been something. Unfortunately, uh, the Black Ferns defence is just... It, it was just far too good in that game. It was... Um, so. Yeah. New Zealand's good at rugby still? Is that where we're getting at? Yeah, I mean, I mean, if you're if you're a nation where children are told like the rules of rugby and it's been, you know, basically indoctrinated into you since as soon as you could stand and catch and throw, you may be good at rugby. Who knew? Um, but you know, this is a it's you know, I'll get onto what I think about the whole situation in a bit from a different angle, but you know, obviously having that level of experience, I think the Blackburns had also been somewhat uh, embarrassed in the autumn, you know, those losses against England and then uh, followed up loss to France, you know, of um, being basically whitewashed for the autumn season. This was a statement, like they'd played um, Australia uh, the week previously and the way to turn it around, but this is probably like the game that they were focusing on the most and you know they knew what they needed to do they knew what um would get the job done they put themselves in a position now where Canada needs to not only win but score a huge amount of points in order to even possibly be considered um first and that's even before the Blackferns play again so, you know, this is this may have been the game that has won the series for New Zealand. Yeah. But uh, something else I want to mention as well is that this is the first year of New Zealand having the women's version of Super Rugby. So oh. this is the first time in which these players that are based in New Zealand are having, you know, professional contracts, full-time commitments to games. And, you know, we've seen it... Um, not only with New Zealand, we've seen it in the women's Six Nations as well. England, obviously untouchable at the moment with their women's team. But if you look at the teams that finished in, uh, how they finished in that table, the top three teams all have a level of professional contracts at the moment. And, you know, obviously the situation in Canada is different because a lot of Canadian players currently also play in like Premier 15s over in England, but it should now be an argument. And it can probably be something that will be coming up after the World Cup um, this uh, fall and, you know, in time for the 2025 World Cup in England when there's more teams and like more opportunities. But is this now the time where you can say, we can't put this off any longer. We need to ensure that our women's national team is at a professional level. And that means we're paying them professional amounts. Um, I know this is continuing to open the can of worms that has come out since like the high performance review, but even an idea of like saying, okay, these are the players that are going to premier 15s. They're going to stay there for the entire season and get paid that amount and we'll also have them on like retainer contracts as well. So we pay them like a little dividend whilst they're over there. But all our other players that say aren't being picked up, because there is also talk of the Premier 15s capping the number of um, foreign players in that league. So we have to say, okay, probably not. But again, it's out of our hands and you want to prepare for all eventualities. So you need to say, we need to have a core team. They can either be based in Langford. They can be based in Ontario somewhere and be like, we are going to pay this team to train, to prepare. And, you know, and obviously. Are you saying saying like you want them paid more? Cause it's like, they are paid. 
Well, from what I've gathered is that they're paid, but it's not enough. Okay, so you're saying exactly. paid more. So yeah, paid more, but also, you know, that professional structure put in place. Maybe this could also be an argument to help profession. Um, I don't know if professionalize is a word, but it's something I'm- it's definitely a word. Uh, so to professionalize the um, women's structure or like the top league of women's rugby in the USA and North America and yeah. you know, give more play. Because this is something, because obviously as, not even as the World Cup continue, um, continues, it's as uh, Premier uh, 4 Series continues, as the WXV Series begins next year as well, that the nations that are going to be competing at the top are going to have players that are in a professional environment. And if you are not doing that, you're going to be left behind. You're going to have Canada falling into the second round of the WXV. You're going to have them, you know, fall further and further down the world rankings, you know, like has happened with the men's team. So, I I mean, I think the situations are a little bit different though, from the women's teams, the men's team, right? Like, uh, I mean, I think like if you kind of look at, as you mentioned, like the premier 15s, which is arguably the, which is probably the best women's league in the world right now. Right. That's, tons of canadians tons of americans in that league yeah right and you kind of even look at the way the final played out tons of canadians tons of americans in the league and they're like the best players on some of their teams too oh absolutely Um, but this is but so my my cause of concern is you don't want to be at the mercy of a rule change that you don't have a say in no because that may be because that may be the case because you know new zealand women uh the black ferns they're you know, now getting professional contracts as well. And soon they may be challenging England for wins and yeah. stuff. And, be, and you know, because, you know, they've won, was it like, uh, well, they've won the majority of the women's yeah. World Cup finals. So maybe it's also now the idea of like, you know, and I'm saying like years down the line, I'm not saying, you know, next week they're going to decide this. I'm saying that in a, after 2025 and maybe England say like, right, only two um, non, two international players, but yeah. Premier 15 side. That's I really don't think they're going to do that though, man. Like, I think that's a, like, that's a, I mean, that's, that's a good way to just kill a lot of interest in the league too. Right. Um, especially global interest. Um, so like, I, I don't, th- I don't think they're going to do that. I think players from all over the world, I think like, I think especially like Premier 15s has a really good opportunity to be like, if you want to, you can be like the best women's rugby competition in the world and have that like almost like, because I mean, rugby in men's rugby, it's kind of set up where it's like, you know, if you're from New Zealand, you're going to play in New Zealand. If you're from Australia, you play for an Aussie team. If you're from England, you're going to play in the Premiership. If you're from South Africa, you go wherever you want. Um, but you know, everybody's a lot of people kind of stay localized. Whereas I think like the premier 15s might have a little opportunity to be like a women's rugby equivalent to like, you know, major, like, you know, say major league baseball or the NHL or something where it's like the best players from all over the world can come together for like one um, elite level league, um, which I think would be good. I mean, um, my biggest con- my, one of my concerns too, and it's like obviously I I want to see like women's rugby continue to develop and stuff, especially in this country though. Like this country can barely get a pro hockey league off women's hockey league off the ground, right? Like, yeah, and that's the biggest sport in our country, and we can like as far as like people people willing to put up money to like support to support it it's like women's hockey is probably the most popular women's sport in our country and that for a multitude of reasons has struggled immensely to get any sort of league off the ground it's just been a ton of infighting between a bunch of involved parties and um but i think ultimately i think like i mean it's obviously it's like a fascinating conversation, I guess, to have because it's like you always kind of want to keep an eye on how to develop the women's game. Um, but I also like just like are we having this conversation because you're panicking that they lost twenty eight nothing to New Zealand, or are we? I, I'm having this conversation because I don't want to be in a position like years or even decades down the line where you could say this is the point oh. where you should have been doing something and now. 
Canada uh, kicked out of the Women's World Cup yeah, qualifications. Like, I mean, I think, how old is Premier 15s right now? It's I think it's like about five years. So not. like the first, so is Premier 15s the hang, first? Hang on, hang on, before, hang on. Let me uh, just have a quick check and then I can uh, just make sure I'm not talking out my backside. Yeah, so it was uh, founded. It was founded in 2016, but the first season was 2017. So, is that the first time that any of those women have been paid to play club rugby? I'm just looking into it. So the uh, the thing is, is what I'm referring to is that England rugby pay their women's 15s team on top of what is going on with like Premier 15s or whatever. Yeah, so like Canada, doing. Rugby Canada pays the women's 15s team. Yeah, but I, they get paid. It's also, I I can't find uh, the numbers of it as well. I know they get paid, but, yeah. you know, we also have players that uh, haven't, well, I mean, it's the same with like MLR as well. Like players also have other jobs as well. Yeah, yeah no, for sure. Yeah, the, they all have other or like but a lot you, of the MLR players and stuff. But, but even you, at that, like the MLR players, you'd be getting a, like, are probably getting an MLR paycheck, a rugby can, the paycheck, and then whatever else they're choosing to do. But again, this is why I'm trying to like future proof this whole understanding of just if you can mm. get these women um, paid at a rate in which that they maybe don't need to take a second job that they can be focused on training and focused on recovery like outside of games. You know, there's also um, university competitions and like low and, you know, club competition, community competition that they can be doing throughout the year to give themselves a bit more game time so that when it does come to internationals and test level, they can put their rubber stamp on it the same way that England is doing in like the six nations and any other women's team on the world at the moment yeah i mean i think i think obviously you have to continue to invest in women's game and i hope rugby canada continues to see that yeah the women's 15s team like if they beat new zealand they would have moved to like second in the world yeah they would have they had a chance to leapfrog new zealand in the standings here right so like um unfortunately game didn't uh didn't work out but like yeah, like I think I think that's the kind of the biggest difference is like the actual landscape of women's rugby, I think to me is different than men's rugby. So I think like worrying about sliding down the standings, I don't really think that that's necessarily there at this point in time because it's like they're a it's a top three team in the world, even like and given the current state, like you said, like there's maybe more of a women's rugby infrastructure in New Zealand. Premier 15s has taken off. There's a lot of Canadian and a lot of American players playing in Premier 15s. Yeah. Right. And it's like, I think like women's rugby from a professional standpoint is globally is starting to take off. Right. Yeah. It's like, we're like, this is kind of like the women's rugby 1995 right now. Yeah. Right? Where it's like, we're just hitting professionalism. Yeah. Um, and we're, or for that, you know what I mean? So it's like now that you have like Premier 15s, you have some leagues um, in the Southern Hemisphere, right? And but like I said, it's like the biggest difference, I think, is that the Canadian players are good enough to go play in those leagues, right? Um, whereas it's like there's not a whole necessarily a whole lot of Canadian players, Canadian men players that are good enough to play in the Premiership or that are good enough to play top or, you know, top 14 or URC or Super Rugby. Right, so it's harder for the men to kind of get to those best leagues, but all the women can get to the best leagues. So I think you're going to see like a lot of, um, like the women's players, the Canadian women's players are going to be in those massive full-time professional environments. It's just that the environment might be in England, um, at like the Saracens or Exeter or something, yeah. as opposed to in Langford. But they're still yeah. going to get those full-time professional environments because the Canadian women are good enough to hang with the best players in the world, all over the world. Um, uh, yeah. That's, I guess my thought on that. Yeah. That's what I mean. You want to act now whilst you can, yeah. whilst there's something there. And that's the thing is that obviously the United States is going to be hosting the women's world cup. In yeah. So hopefully that's years. a big bump. 
yeah so that's why i mean as in like this is a time where you get like wpl you get that yeah. going you can see like oh you know maybe possible expansion um you know in the same level that like mlr is doing at the moment and you know it's all it's work that needs to be done and things that can be done and all things that it's the idea of like yes it's going to be difficult there's going to be you know road bumps along the way there's going to be challenges that need to be overcome but it's going to be significantly easier to do this now than when you're like chasing behind like the other teams that have already done it ahead of you yeah. Well, I think uh, the one thing, though, too, is like knowing that the World Cup is at the end of this year, um, how big of a bump it'll be for women's rugby in our country if Canada wins it. Yeah. Right. And it's like as much as because it's like you you kind of see what happened to like rugby or Canadian soccer um, you know, girls' participation in soccer after like the women's team won the Olympics, yeah. um, and uh, some other big tournaments, and like the success that you know Christine Sinclair and that squad's been having, right? It's like been a huge bump for uh, women's soccer in this country, right? And it's like if if Canada wins the World Cup, even if the United States wins the World Cup, yeah. right? Like that's going to be an absolutely massive bump. Um, but that in order to do that, got to figure out how to get past New Zealand and England. Um, and obviously a first difficult test with New Zealand. Um, I thought Canada played like pretty well in the first half. It was a tight game though. New Zealand only had a couple penalties to show for it. Um, fortunately in the second half, Ruby Tui decided to take over the game, scoring two tries and having a handful of other unreal runs. That one try that she scored little chip kick was phenomenal bit of skill um the black fern social media has a little bit of a really cool video of her practicing that the couple days before uh the game too so i guess practice makes perfect kids um try things try things in practice because you never know when it's going to work in a how it's going to play out in the game so the chip kick over the top kind of worked out for her um and yeah as you said black ferns new zealand they're good at rugby um and uh you know canada's uh it's a it's a good it's a good game because it's like hey it's still some work to be done um, before the World Cup right if you want to because uh, Canada even as the third ranked team in the world you definitely have a shot at winning it but um, still a little work to be done in order to uh, knock off New Zealand and uh, and England and obviously the World Cup being held in New Zealand like if you're gonna beat the Black Ferns you got to do it on a on a home soil right which as they kind of proved this past week was. Is a difficult task. Said than done. Yeah. yeah. But it's not the end of the Pacific Four Series just yet. We have this weekend coming up. It is Canada versus Australia and the USA versus New Zealand, uh, one after the other. And, you know, you know, first place may be just beyond Canada's reach, but um, following the USA's victory over Australia, which was narrowly uh, 16-14, um, a victory for Canada will be able to grant them the mm-hmm. final place of second in the table, which, you know, nothing to be turned your nose up at. Do you like the new USA kit? No. No. Yeah. Like, I, actually, no. Let me, hang on. Let me, let me be fair because it's really the only, this is the first time they've worn it. So yeah. it, it may be one that just grows on me. I like the thing is, it's like, like watching yeah because it's like i think like the women's team are the first team that's like actually worn it like in game it looks like they're wearing like a t-shirt under like a basketball jersey yeah or whatever like the way the arms are like the stripes on the arms are cut like it looks like yeah and then like the stripes don't go all the way to the back either so like the back is just plain white um i don't know not a not a fan really Really not. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I'm, yeah. I like the thing that stinks for all Eagles jerseys now is like yeah. there's literally an MLR team that wears a better Eagles jersey than you. Yeah. So, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, that's what you have to contend with. It's like I'm comparing every jersey to Old Glory because they have a better USA national team jersey than you do. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, back to the drawing board. I mean, it's not as though there's a World Cup coming up this year or anything. No. 
never mind. We return to Canada because we've got a bit of news that's come out. Um, Gaston Mirez has posted on his Instagram account saying, uh, thanking the Arrows for the journey. And it appears to be the case that uh, Gaston Mirez, the Arrows' top try scorer, will be leaving the team now that the season has concluded. Uh, it should be worth noting that uh, last year during the um, Uruguayan qualification journey, uh, Ignacio Chans, a Uruguayan rugby journalist, um, interviewed um, Gaston Mirez and he said that he has signed a contract for the Arrows for one year, which was the season we've just had, and that he will then decide where to go from there. And of course, uh, just mentioned about the Uruguayan qualifications, they've qualified for. Uh, the Rugby World Cup, and um, Mirez was a pivotal player in that squad uh, to, you know, get the uh, scores to help with, uh, get Uruguay to qualify as America's one for the first time ever. So, well, to be honest, any which way he goes, I hope he um, can be part of the team that goes to France for the Rugby World Cup next year, because I'll definitely be cheering him on. So, and you never know, this uh, This might be the end of um, Miros' Arrows journey for now. He may obviously come back if he feels that he still has it in him. But if this is where he uh, wants to end it, and just got to say, you know, top try scorer, uh, even announced today a statistic of um, beating uh, 50 defenders, uh, one of the first players to do so for the Arrows. So, you know, he'll always be an arrow to us, but... Uh, gracias, Gaston. We will uh, definitely miss you at uh, back in Toronto. It's not. It can't be a coincidence that the guy that's got the most defenders beaten also has the most tries, right? Like it feels like those two stats might kind of, yeah, maybe I not think, necessarily yeah. go hand in hand, but they'd be uh, they'd be pretty close to yeah, tied together. I think, parts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, unless you're one, like Dylan, one Frost, certainly helps. But uh, yeah, so. You know, that's, uh, that's all we've really got. We did post about it on uh, um, uh, Twitter and Gaslon did reach out to reply to us and say, uh, thanks guys um, on uh, our decision of like, well, we hope well, he'll be uh, appearing for Uruguay in 2023 and then we'll be cheering him on regardless. So, but uh, speaking of international rugby, we're talking about... Uh, National bodies as Rugby Canada have announced and that their tickets for their men's 15s game against Belgium and their women's game against Wales both will be held at the Wanderers ground. Um, not at the same time, obviously. And it's also been so Rugby Canada have also announced that women's age grade rugby is set to return. Um, they've said that under 18 is set to return in late 2022. And under 20s and under 23s, women's rugby is to return in 2023. And the reason why um, uh, that's happening so late is because they are doing the recruitment drive now to get coaches, team managers, um, all the relevant uh, backroom staff in place so that they can have these under 20s and under 23 tournaments and the right people be needed where they are. So, you know, you know, we've been talking about uh, the future of Canadian rugby and what they need to do. Obviously, the return of age-grade rugby and women's pathway of like where they can go on the international level. Great to hear, especially after uh, it's been delayed um, past two or three years due to COVID. So, you know, all going all going in the right direction, in my opinion. There you go. I well, there, that t- ties back into uh, what you were talking about earlier, right? It's the yeah. invest in the. Uh... Invest, yeah, invest, in, the invest in the women and the sport will grow. That's my opinion on that. Yeah. Okay, so if you are looking for any rugby this weekend, it is a weekend of finals from what we gather. On Sportsnet, you can watch the Premiership final. That will be between the Leicester Tigers and Saracens. And you can also watch the United Rugby Championship final, and that will be between the Stormers and the Bulls. On TSN, you have the Super Rugby Pacific final which will be between the Blues and the Crusaders. And you also have the final round of the, of the Pacific Four Series, which will be on the TSN app and tsn.ca. And of course, the MLR Championship Series with the Eastern Conference and Western Conference Finals 
will be on the rugby network to all us lovely Canadians. But now we get into our predictions for the conference finals. And hopefully this time the teams stay the same because I picked Houston and then found out the next day that Houston weren't playing. So hey. Houston got through. Houston got through. You kind of count. Also, I, I picked Seattle. Seattle got through. We're yeah. playing. It's this, so we we were both right, in my opinion. Okay, so now that we have the actual fixture this time around, are you gonna stick with your decision of Seattle? Or are you gonna change it up? Um, you know, wow, yeah, I guess I picked Seattle last week to beat Houston. So yeah, you know what? I guess for the the sake of consistency, I'll take a, I'll back a. Travis Larson and uh, AJ Alatimu to, uh, you know, put up a big number on uh, Houston. And uh, sorry, Robbie. Sorry, Robbie Povey. It's, I think uh, I think you're going home. I do still love the playoff shirts, though. Yeah, I, I don't know what you're saying, man. I'm back in Robbie Povey all the way. And Probably. also the um, Springboks. I mean, um, uh, Sabercats. Uh, Saberbox? Sabercats. That's it. Springcats? Saber box sounds way Say, cool. Saber box. Saber box, yeah. Um, you know, I think I mean, we can argue this for Seattle as well, but I think Houston is obviously is the most improved side in MLR this season. Um, and, you know, they've also had the bye week as well. So they have... Are and, you the most improved if you're completely different from last year? Yes. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. You know, they had that a- spring box embroidered on as well. You yeah. Yeah. Well, that's It'd be hilarious. Um, they should wear spring. They should have a spring box like alternate jersey. Like yeah, that al- that alternate jersey next year is just green. It's green. <laughs> that would be amazing, actually. Yeah. Just like, oh, they yeah, need to, like, yeah, we know. What are you gonna do the, about it? Take like the logo, like the the cat's head, and make like a leaping, like a leaping saber cat on the side or something. Yeah. Oh man, we could do this. This could be good. Yeah. Yeah, well, that will be the Western Conference. So Derek going for Seattle, I'm going to Houston. Uh, the Eastern Conference final, it is New England versus New York. And this will be at, it's a tough one. Yeah, because, you know, I think uh, not to say that New England um, didn't care, but also when they played New York in the final game, the regular season, New England had already secured the. Um, Eastern Conference final, so they didn't need to do like a full team, uh, like sorry, a first 15 team out and you know, risk any injuries or things like that. New York knew that they needed to win to try and get a home uh, eliminator. Unfortunately, uh, Atlanta was able to do that instead, but it worked out in New York's favor. Um, but I, know, I think uh, New England have seen that there have been cracks in their fortress and they're like, nope, that was a one-time thing. It's not happening again. Yeah. I'm personally going to go with New England. Ooh. So here's the fun thing with this matchup. It's yeah. obviously in American sports, Boston, New York is like the biggest rivalry in every city. Uh, hang on. Is this going to somehow relate to the Bruins by any chance? No, not at all. No. Oh, really? Because yeah, uh, I'm not going to bring up the Bruins. Why would I bring no. up the Bruins? I... Were you about to say you hate the Bruins? I do hate the Bruins. Who doesn't? Uh, hate yeah, the and, Bruins? You, and you hate any team that's within a certain radius of where the Bruins play, which would include. No, I just I hate the Bruins and I hate Tom Brady. That's it. I have nothing. I have nothing against the Celtics. The Celtics okay, right. exist. I guess they're in the NBA Finals. Good for them. Um, I got nothing. Yeah, I got nothing against the Celtics. What else do they have there? Oh, the Red Sox. Yeah, the Red Sox suck too. Um. Either way, though. So the interesting thing with this matchup, though, New York only lost one game on the road all year. New England's only lost one game at home all year. Obviously, there's a little bit of intersection with that stat because New New England's one loss at home is New York. So you got probably the best road team in the league playing the best home team in the league in the best home team in the league's home. So that's a fascinating matchup to begin with. Um. I think New York, to me, just they like playing on the road a little too much because I think it actually fits their style of play a lot more. I think if this game was at, in New York, I would pick New England. But because it's in New England, I think I'm going to go back and pick New York to uh, beat beat New England at home again. Right, then. 
Okay, so those are Derek's picks, and those are my picks for the conference finals. But if you are looking for the Toonies picks... Here, you, what? do you want to go a little bit further? Because now you got your final. You want to call your final two weeks in advance? See if you get it? A little bit of a bonus pick? I mean, we have to... So you say that the final is going to be Seattle-New York. Yeah, so that's our final. Say, that's my final uh, right now. And I'd say the, the final is going to be Houston-New Are you saying who's going to win? Yeah, who's going to win the final? Call Some it. We have it. We have you our... call. Okay, you call it first. So Seattle, New York. So I'm going to go I was back. at JFK Stadium. Yeah, so I'm going to go back to uh, the thing with New York as I think New York would lose at home. So Seattle yeah. will get their third. So I'm, yeah, I'm thinking, I'm thinking Seattle might um, might have seen the uh, the door open to uh, to get their uh, their third title. All right, and so that that's can... my 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 early my early uh, MLR championship call. Okay, so I say it would be Houston, New England in the final, and yeah. that means it will be hosted in New England. And as you mentioned, uh, New England best yeah. home team in the league. So I say that New England would be the new MLR champion. I, com- I was I completely agree with you if it ends up being Houston, New England as a final. I would completely yeah. agree with that pick. That's going to uh, be a tough night for Houston. Yeah. Well, those are conference finals and I suppose MLR final uh, picks for <laughs> this round. We'll uh, come back next week and uh, tell you how accurate or inaccurate we were. Uh, but if you're looking for the Toonies picks, you can find them on our TikTok account at The Rouge Rugby. In fact, you can find us across all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at The Rouge Rugby. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you can find more on Spotify, Anchor FM, and Apple Podcasts. And if you like watching our beautiful faces, you can do so on our YouTube channel, again, at La Rouge Rugby, where we also include some clips, which include interviews from the players of the Arrows during the season. Uh, Derek, if the people want to find you online, where can they do so? At Reset the Jet across all social media platforms. And you can find me across social media at Hardman, spelled H4RDMAN. Well, Derek, that's another week of rugby and the Rouge Rugby under our belts. Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you all so much for joining us for another episode of the Rouge Rugby podcast. We hope you can join us again next time.